Stop. Commercial time. Hey, friends. So do y'all remember how we decided together that 2022 would be our year? Our year to be selfish? The year that we start finally taking the steps necessary to get our financial lives together. Y'all remember that? Well, I decided to get my financial life together by opening up my first investment account and investing in the stock market. Now, all I have to do is actually learn how to invest. (laughs) And I hope you'll join me. My good friend and season one guest, top 100 financial advisor and founder of Building Bread, Kevin Matthews has put together an easy to understand, easy to follow set of resources for newbie investors just like us called the Investor's Toolkit. The Investor's Toolkit is a seven module course designed to guide us step by step through our stock market investing journey. We need this, friends. Well, if you're ready to stop talking about it and be about it, click the link in my show notes to access the Building Bread Investor's Toolkit. And if you use the link in the notes, you'll also get a special sugar-free discount. Y'all know I'm going to take care of you, friends, right? Good. Now back to the show. It just kind of got to a part where I was just kind of like, I don't see this necessarily not working. And when I say that, I don't mean between who would have been the father in this case. I more so mean just like, what is this? What does this life look like for the child I'm going to bring into this world? And it just wasn't one that I kind of thought I'm ready. I don't know if he's ready. I don't know if, it, if we would even have a healthy dynamic that would look like healthy co-parenting. And it just really kind of led to a decision of, I don't think this is probably best for myself. And that is something that, you know, I would tell any woman making this decision Be confident and resonate in your decisions for making it. And now you're listening to the Sugar Free Podcast. Welcome to the tea party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. You know it's sugar free. Remix. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. When you're kicking it with Sid Mac, we keep it sugar free. Cause all truth, no lies, the only way to be. No more sugar in our lives, now we're living free. Hey! Now change up the flow, but we hit season two, gotta relive the show. Season one was going in, now we're hitting it again. Having fun with all my friends, going strong until the now end. Tell Remix. Me, girl, me, girl, how you like your tea. You know it's sugar free. You know it's sugar free. Now tell me, girl, me, girl, where you wanna be. You know it's sugar free. Hey, friends! Welcome to a very special episode of the Sugar Free Podcast. This episode wasn't part of our regularly scheduled programming for season one, but it was a topic that was so timely and so significant that I knew I couldn't let season one pass without discussing it. So what am I talking about? Well, we ain't talking about practice, friends. I'm talking about abortion. Now, I don't have a song to open today's episode or a funny rap scripture. I honestly don't have any songs or jokes on my heart today. All I feel is incredible sadness because my heart is broken. Just like we have been discussing the past two weeks on navigating real heartbreak, the current state of reality for the women in Texas and quite possibly for all women in America falls so very far short of my expectations of those who are entrusted with the responsibility to protect all people, but especially women. And as we now know, when your expectations fall short of your reality, 
heartbreak is swift to follow. Because my heart is broken, I don't have a song for y'all. All I got is this soapbox, okay? So let me hop on it for a second as we unpack the layers of this relatively new abortion law in Texas. So Texas just passed some very restrictive laws regarding abortion, and we need to talk about them. For most of us, our local governments and elected officials may as well be the wizards behind the curtain, like the one in the Wizard of Oz, for as real as they feel or seem to us in our everyday lives. And most of the time, for most of us, even as politicians and laws come and go from public office, our regular lives remain relatively unscathed. While every so often, a particularly problematic politician, political faction, law, or set of laws come to power that threaten to undermine everything that we hold near and dear. It threatens to erode the very essence of our humanity, an essence that is grounded in compassion, empathy, and most importantly, our freedom to choose what's best for us in our lives. We have very recently come across one of those laws with the recent passing of Senate Bill Number 8, a new Texas law that was passed and recently reaffirmed that severely limits a woman's ability to have access to abortions in Texas. I know the subject matter is real heavy today, but friends, as a woman, a lawyer, legal scholar, law professor. Oh, my bad, y'all. I didn't tell y'all I was a professor. <laughs> Did I forget to mention that one of my proudest accomplishments is that I am a law professor at one of the top legal institutions in the country. Did I forget to mention that teaching and helping others become their very best selves is one of my life's greatest joys. My bad. <laughs> well, now you know. Glad we're all caught up there. Slight flex. <laughs> So anywho, because I am a lawyer, a law professor, a legal scholar, and my personal favorite, a gatekeeper of justice, know one, friends, that you're in good hands for this conversation, and two, that we will discuss the topic with all the reverence, compassion, and empathy it deserves. But also know, friends, that we gonna talk about it, okay? And we're not gonna hold anything back. So let's get into it. Now, because I am actually trained in reading and interpreting laws, we're not looking at a summary, okay? We're going to get right into the strict text of this law, and then I will break it down for y'all so we can have a real honest discussion about what it is, what it ain't, and why it should be important to you. So welcome to Professor Mack's class. Abortion 101 is now in session. So what does the law actually say? The law says... Except as provided by section 171.205, a physician may not knowingly perform or induce an abortion on a pregnant woman unless the physician has determined in accordance with this section whether the woman's unborn child has a detectable fetal heartbeat. A physician, which the bill defines as any individual license to practice medicine in the state of Texas, including a medical doctor and a doctor of osteopathic medicine, cannot perform an abortion on a pregnant woman once the pregnant woman's unborn child develops a heartbeat that is detectable by medical science. So why is this a problem? It's a problem because most women... And for most pregnancies, a heartbeat can be detected in the fetus around the six 
week of pregnancy, which is also around the time that most women become aware that they're pregnant or begin exhibiting symptoms of pregnancy. This means that for most women in Texas, they will no longer be allowed to obtain an abortion because they more than likely won't know they are pregnant until after their baby has a detectable heartbeat, which is the cutoff for when she could have an abortion. That's a problem. Two, why this is a problem. On January 22nd, 1973, the court in Roe v. Wade ruled that unduly restrictive state regulation of abortion is unconstitutional. The court held that a set of Texas statutes, surprise, surprise, back at it again, Texas. Mm. Well, anyway, the court held that a set of Texas statutes criminalizing abortion in most instances violated a woman's constitutional right of privacy, which it found to be implicit in the liberty guarantee of the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. Now, Roe versus Wade didn't provide women with an absolute right to terminate a pregnancy in any way or at any time she may see fit. But it did say that the state did not have a compelling interest in pregnant women's health until approximately the end of the first trimester of pregnancy or around 12 weeks. The point at capability of meaningful life outside the mother's womb. Now, why should you be angry? You should be angry because placing a cap on abortions at six weeks virtually eliminates a woman's opportunity for abortion. Most women just like in the case of today's guest, don't even know they're pregnant or exhibit symptoms of pregnancy until the sixth week of pregnancy. But more often than not, much later than that. Now, I've seen a lot of memes and Facebook statuses out there saying things like, I stand with a woman who is raped and wants to terminate the pregnancy of her assailant's child. Well, yeah, that's cool. But that's such an extreme example and not where or why most abortions happen. According to a study published in the American Journal of Public Health, nearly one in four women in the U.S. will have an abortion by the age of 45. And the majority of those women have their abortions between the ages of 19 and 30. Friends. That means that if you take 12 of your women friends, your women cousins, aunties, your sisters, hell, maybe your mama, whatever. Well, if you take 12 of them, three of them have probably had an abortion. You may have had an abortion. So for me, whatever your reason, whatever your circumstance, I support and stand with you. Let's get real honest, okay? Abortion ain't fun. It ain't a good time. Women aren't running out here having an abortion before their monthly mani-pedis or noon wax appointments, okay? They're also not using abortions as a form of contraception. Abortions are painful, both physically and emotionally. They are some of the most difficult decisions that a woman may have to make during her life. So know that if a woman has decided to have an abortion, it was undoubtedly the best choice she could have made for herself, her family, and her unborn child. So don't qualify your support for women's choices with, I support abortion if, or I support abortion when. Nah, say it with me. I support abortion Period. Okay. I support a woman's right to choose. Period. I support women. Period. Okay. Whew. Woo, child. Let me get off my soapbox and 
catch my breath so we can get into this episode, okay? (laughs) So today we are joined by Tiffany Clayton, a young professional woman who has boldly elected to share her abortion journey with us so that we can truly demystify abortion and some of the stigmas, stereotypes, shame, embarrassment, and myths associated with it. Welcome, Tiffany. I am so incredibly excited to have you here today. I am in awe of your courage, your boldness, and your fearlessness, not only in your decision to have an abortion, but also in your decision to share your journey with us here today. Know this, Tiffany, I truly appreciate you, and I don't take your presence here for granted. And with that, Tiffany, welcome. And please tell the good people who you are, what you do, and what you hope to achieve here today by sharing your story. Hey everyone, I'm Tiffany, the host, joining Sydney on her show. I am an MC or a master of ceremonies, if you want to be really formal and things of that nature. But I used to do trivia shows, anything with live events, and on the more uh, corporate side of things, professional and corporate relations. So I'm essentially the person that when you go to a party or an event, I bring a personality uh, to the brand. We are so excited to have you here today. I know that it is really difficult to to share such a personal story. And a lot of times you have to be in a very vulnerable place. So I just want to make sure that you understand that I am incredibly grateful for you being here today. And I just want to know if you have any goals for the conversation and maybe what you hope to achieve by sharing your story today. Yeah, I mean, really personalizing uh, my experience. It's been a few years, so everyone's journey is different, but really just kind of providing a little bit of education. I know that we're going to talk about a few different things with what's currently going on, but to just really let people know that Number one, you do have people that are going through the same things as you, maybe discuss some resources that people can explore, but that it's it's a journey and it doesn't have to be something that defines you, but it's definitely something I don't think that politics should be involved in, but really just kind of want to personalize the experience for people, whether they know someone or not about what this can do to someone or how it may impact a person's life. Absolutely. That's, that's what I'm hoping we get from today's conversation too, making it real for people, making it tangible. Basically. You know, it's one thing to read about a law in a newspaper or on an online magazine article. It's another thing to feel like, you know, somebody who's been there and gone through it. And I'm hoping that by the end of this conversation, everybody feels like they know somebody that went through it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like because in, in the intro, I talked about how, you know, your mama, your cousins and them probably had an abortion and you don't know it. So you may very well have people in your circle right this moment who have had an abortion and don't know it. Um, But after this conversation, you will hopefully know somebody and know the importance and the significance and the impact that this experience has on women's lives and why it's so important for women to be able to preserve their right to continue to navigate this journey and make choices for and about their bodies without interference from anyone else. So Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. And if y'all couldn't tell from my introduction, I'm on fire. (laughs) She's ready. She's ready. And I'm like, yes, listen, listen. So y'all know that I'm an attorney. So I like to get us started with a good definition. (laughs) 
<laughs> words mean things they do things. they do and it's important for us to know what a thing is to know what it isn't and so to start i want to start by explaining or defining what an abortion is so an abortion is a procedure that intentionally and prematurely ends a pregnancy prior to the mother's natural date of delivery it uses medicine or surgery to remove the embryo or fetus and placenta from the uterus so now we're all clear about what an abortion actually is right So according to the CDC, in 2018, women in their 20s accounted for more than half of abortions, approximately 57%, with women ages 25 to 29 leading the way for abortions, accounting for almost 30% of all abortions, right? So these are are grown women that we're talking about who are capable of making real decisions for themselves, Right. So can you tell us what age you were when you decided to have your abortion and whether or not you kind of fell within that median range of ages? Definitely. Mine was in 2017. No, I'm sorry, 2018. I was 27 going on 28. So definitely right within that second category, late 20s. Mm. And so 28. 27 going on 28 is probably an age that most people would consider to be an acceptable age to have a child, right? Like, so society has all these ideas about when you shouldn't, shouldn't be thinking about having a baby, right? Like it's probably Mm -hmm. between the ages of 25 and 35 for most women. And so why at the age of 28, did you feel like it was necessary to have an abortion? I think for me, well, the first thing, and I know a lot of statistics talk about this, it was unplanned. So this wasn't something that I walked into or was planned with the person that I was uh, dealing with at the time. So for me, there were a lot of, a lot of outside factors that kind of led up to my decision. And the biggest thing for me, and, you know, I know that with this Texas law that just got passed with six weeks, I didn't know. So by the time I went in, I originally didn't go in to uh, have a termination. It more so was just kind of, okay, I think I might be, but I'm not sure. So when I went in to go get checked, uh, they basically were just like, you know, uh, congratulations, you know, you're pregnant. And I thought, you know, with what? And they were just kind of, (laughs) you know, and they're looking at me like, with what? And I'm like, what? You know, so when they explained everything, for me, I had to make a decision pretty quickly because every state is different. And at the time I was in Alabama, and so essentially they were just saying is you're 11 weeks. So you wow. need to make a decision ASAP because after this week, we can't touch you. And so for me, there were a lot of other things that were going on externally, but definitely within that moment, it was unplanned. I didn't know. And not only am I carrying life, but I'm almost done with my first trimester. So at mm. this point, we need to make a decision like yesterday. So for me, it, time was a factor, external things the relationship that I had with the person at that time. So there were a whole bunch of things that it kind of felt like were under this microscope of you need to make a decision by the end of the week, sis, because depending on what you decide, your life is going to change. And I would say for anyone, it changes either way. Yeah. So I want to go back for a little bit before we Mm -hmm. unpack a little bit more about all the factors that weighed into your decision to terminate the pregnancy. So you said that you didn't even know that you were pregnant until 11 weeks 
And so as we had mentioned, the new law in Texas requires that a doctor cannot perform an abortion on a woman once a heartbeat is detectable. And that's generally Mm -hmm. around the sixth week of pregnancy. And so if you had been in Texas at the time that this law was enacted, you would have not been eligible for an abortion at that time. And I think that's so important for us to understand is that most women at six weeks of pregnancy don't know they're pregnant. And so, and and even you said when you went in, you still didn't know that you were pregnant. And so like, what symptoms were you experiencing? Did you have any indication that something was off with your body? What drove you to go into the doctor at let's say 11 weeks? And what were you feeling leading up to those 11 weeks, like, was there any morning sickness, any, any indication or symptom that you might have thought that you were bringing? Girl, yes. So morning sickness is real. <laughs> I just remember everything had a very amplified smell. And then if I did mm. eat certain things, it wasn't staying down. Now, mm. at the time, I actually had been sick because I had come from a, a trip abroad. And when I came back, this is when that flu strain was kind of going around that just was knocking people out. So I'm thinking COVID? Well, maybe... The COVID? Right, this, the COVID, pre-COVID. You know? was it, like, we, it was COVID. We just didn't know that's what it was. Okay, because it, it knocked me out. So I'm thinking maybe I have the flu again because I felt a little lethargic. But the big thing that had me thinking, okay, something is different. And this all kind of kicked in, if I can remember, maybe like a week or so before I went. Because truthfully, I really just had no idea. And so the thing that had me thinking, I might need to go see if... I'm pregnant or so if there's something different than the last time I was sick, because when I was sick with the flu, you just have flu symptoms. You're tired, you're weak, and you're not really eating. But when I decided to go, I was like, okay, I'm throwing up. I didn't have that from last time. So let me go check. And that's when they were telling me, here's, you know, a pregnancy test. We can do a blood test as well. Because I was like, give me the whole shebang. Since I'm here, yes, we can do the Walmart CVS test. I can do it on my own. But I also want to do a blood test and confirm that I'm pregnant. So I kind of had an idea that something was different. I honestly was hoping it wasn't going to be a pregnancy. But even when that came about, I was like, it still was more shocked. It's different if you wonder if you're pregnant, you know, but when someone is actually telling you, you're like, wait, are they talking to you, me? Are you sure? (laughs) And it's like, oh, no, I'm the only person in the room. Yes. So before we circle back to the factors Mm -hmm. that weighed into your decision, I want to go into a little bit more about what that moment was like when you found out you not only were pregnant, but had a very short window of time to make a decision. I think it's so important or critical to this conversation, the fact that you only had a small window of time, because given the new law that was passed, most women would have to make a decision if they made the cutoff at all, right? If they found out they were pregnant before the approximate six week deadline, the likelihood that they would have more than a week or two to make the decision would be almost uh, the norm, right? Like everybody Mm -hmm. in this situation is going to have a very small window of time. So what was that moment like for you when you found out? And what was that week like (laughs) leading up to you having to make a final decision and then we can talk about what factors weighed into your decision and what that was like but yeah like what was that moment like and and what was that experience like leading up to you having to make the decision 
I think the biggest thing was kind of more so it's different when you have an idea about something versus when reality actually hits. So I kind of walked in, I'll say with a little bit of naivety, thinking that, okay, or naivety, if that's the correct word, but just thinking. Girl, it's the sugar-free uh, podcast, whatever, <laughs> like, whatever like, feels good. I got good. syllables right. <laughs> but, you know, I kind of thought maybe I am, but maybe I'm not. You know, it can't be, but then I'm thinking, don't be surprised if you are. So when they mm-hmm. told me, I'm so serious, it just slipped out of me. And you know me to be a very candid person. When they mm-hmm. say, congratulations, you're pregnant. It just verbal vomit with what? <laughs> And they're looking at me like, is, when does this turn into Jeopardy? Says so like, you know how this works. And I'm like, I understand, but girl, were you at you Planned know, Parenthood? No names are going to be mentioned, but so <laughs> um, I'm just asking because you know they probably look if you were at Planned Parenthood asking what am I pregnant with, they were probably like. But you know what I will say though, the thing <laughs> is that I wish was a little bit different about my experience is. I don't know if I want to call it like a sensitivity around it, but I think because whether it's a clinic or it's Planned Parenthood, this is something they see every day, right? You know, so it's like, I think when you, what, I think for them, when there's a little bit of normalcy in the sense of for the person you're talking to, this is something that's very, you know, shocking for them. For you, this is just a three o'clock because you got a four o'clock coming right after this person. So in that moment, there was a little bit of, okay, are you sure? You know what I mean? But then just realizing, okay, you know, Tiffany, you took your here, you took yourself here to get this clarity. But really in that moment, it was surprising. And then when they told me that I was 11 weeks, the big thing, which is why this bill is so insane to me is they asked me, you know, do you want to hear the heartbeat? So I remember just kind of, it honestly felt like it was an outer body experience because I'm still trying to soak in with the fact that you were experiencing morning sickness, which is a pregnancy symptom, which is you're pregnant. I did have an ultrasound and that's what really personalized it for me, you know, feeling the cold jelly on your stomach and everything and looking at this monitor and hearing this heartbeat where it's kind of like, okay, this is not just, there's some, there's something growing inside of you. Like it actually has a life of its own. So even with all of that, that's when they did tell me. Yeah. I mean, and that was, that's a lot for a first moment of recognizing your, like this, this is, I feel overwhelmed and, and I wasn't there. (laughs) It wasn't you know, me. And, and that's, girl, <laughs> so when you asked me about that moment, so much happened, I feel like, in that kind of like even hour appointment, because some of it was just, what do I do? Do I do I tell the person? First off, who do I tell? Do I tell anybody? And even with what's going on in Texas, I was just listening to a story today that uh, hotlines in Oklahoma and I think Louisiana are just blowing up because these women still want to have this procedure. They just can't do it in their state. So I'm thinking... Do I get this done in Alabama? Do I go next door to Georgia? Like, I'm just thinking, what in the world are my options? And so it was it was a lot. And I remember they gave me a pamphlet, which, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a good thing and a bad thing, but it still is kind of like, again, I think because it's just a three o'clock for you, you know, it, it just kind of felt like I know they're doing their job, but I kind of felt like a little kid where I was like, I really want someone to hold my hand and tell me yeah. what I'm supposed to do because all this just hit. And now it's like, it's so different functioning in a space that now I know that I'm pregnant versus before it was a guess, but now this is confirmation. And you know, I saw the heartbeat and heard it. Now I'm walking around with personalization. Yeah. Whew, girl, I feel for you. <laughs> it's a little heavy. <laughs> it, it is a lot. It is a lot. That's why I'm so incredibly grateful for you coming, you know, to the show with, with such vulnerability. And so I normally will share experiences that I've had And this is such a foreign topic for me because I have never experienced pregnancy. 
so I've never had an abortion. I do have more than 12 women friends. So I do know a number (laughs) of women who have had them, but I don't know if even amongst my closest girlfriends and you're, you know, you're one of my close girlfriends, Tiffany, like even amongst my closest girlfriends, I don't know that we've ever gotten that granular. Like, I don't know that I, I've ever asked you what that experience was like in the moment. And so knowing that I care about you as a human and like knowing that you were sitting in that room alone away from anybody that was familiar um, or that cared for you and to be in that room having that experience my heart is like oh my god like I could not even imagine right I couldn't even imagine so you're sitting in the room they're rubbing the coat jelly on your belly. You're getting an ultrasound. You just found out that, you know, you're 11 weeks pregnant. And so once you left that space, knowing that you had such a short window of time to make the decision, what were all the factors that you considered in making the ultimate decision to have the abortion? Yeah. And, you know, this is the part where people personalize it, but then also opens you up for people's feedback, right? Because everybody can say, well, you should have done it for this reason, or you shouldn't done it and stuff like that. So this is no judgment. Exactly. You know what I'll tell anyone for whatever your decision is, I do believe a woman has a right to her body. And that's your decision. So for myself, the first thing was just thinking straight up, I'm not ready to be a mom. At the time I was living in Atlanta, and I had family in uh, Alabama. So I kind of thought, first off, we're going to, if we decide to do this, we're going to do it in a state where you don't really know a whole lot of people. And that was my first line of thought. Other thing was, yeah, like not ready to be a mom. Cause I'm thinking I'm still trying to figure things out. I think the biggest misconception is that by any age, you should have life figured out. Life happens to us all. So just mm. kind of thinking am at I every ready? age, every age, right? <laughs> life doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. So mm. asking myself, Am I ready? And then also being realistic, the person who was, who would have been the father in this situation, is he ready? So then that led to the next thought of, are we ready? You Mm -hmm. know, and at the time there wasn't a we, so then it's kind of like, what does this look like? So it kind of became a domino effect of just thinking, if I focus just on myself, there's a lot of no's. If I think about this person, whether it's a lifetime partner or just someone I'm co-parenting with, what does that look like? Are they individually ready? And as I just kind of evaluated these things, and thought about what type of lifestyle I would want to have for a child. It just kind of got to a part where I was just kind of like, I don't see this necessarily not working. And when I say that, I don't mean between who would have been the father in this case. I more so mean just like, what is this? What does this life look like for the child I'm going to bring into this world? And it just wasn't one that I kind of thought I'm ready. I don't know if he's ready. I don't know if, it, if we would even have a healthy dynamic that would look like healthy co-parenting. And it just really kind of led to a decision of, I don't think this is probably best for myself. And that is something that, you know, I would tell any woman making this decision, be confident and resonate in your decisions for making it because everyone's going to have a different type of an opinion. But yeah, there were a lot of external factors, those being honestly, most of them, if I can remember it, that really kind of came down to like, this is just not, this is not a good decision. Girl, that's so real though. Like, I don't know (laughs) how, I don't know how anybody could oppose your choices decisions factors because they're yours like how do you Mm -hmm. have a a rebuttal for your choices but I think that for me your decision making factors are so real and so one of the myths that I hope that we kind of demystify during this episode Mm -hmm. is 
what a woman who's making this decision looks like in terms of where she's at in her life, who she is, right? Like we oftentimes paint this picture of this woman who's been raped or experienced some kind of trauma and that being the only acceptable position that a woman can be in for abortion to even be a consideration or a young woman Mm -hmm. who maybe isn't settled in her life and her career, right? Like the woman who makes the choice to have an abortion can be any age at any income level for any reason, married, unmarried, single in a relationship. It doesn't matter. And so Mm -hmm. I, I don't know every single woman that has had an abortion, but I can't imagine that there are so many women who have considered the same things that you considered in having their abortions as well, right? Like it wasn't anything that was super traumatic per se in terms of, you know, having, being sexually assaulted or anything like that. Not that getting pregnant when you don't want to regardless right. of the situation it, isn't traumatic enough, but it's, it's, you know what I mean? Sometimes it's not that deep. It's just, I'm not ready. And it's for whatever reason that a person may think, because I think like we were talking about before, you know, it's, if the statistic is the same, it's one in four, every woman has had an abortion or a termination. And to your point, it can be from any walk of life for any type of reason. So there are even some cases where if someone has health issues where they can't carry to term, you know, is mm-hmm. that could be something where it's like, you know, this is now becoming an at-risk pregnancy. Maybe we need to do this. So that's why I think it's so interesting, whether somebody agrees or not, but still realizing that even if the the man is involved and it's his I don't want to say like his feedback isn't considered or so, but at the end of the day, the person who is carrying that life, it's for that person's reason. And so to your point, anybody can have a reason, whether it's a laundry list or one thing, Mm -hmm. it's your reason. It's your decision. I don't want to is a whole sentence. Okay. (laughs) Right. A complete (laughs) thought, a complete thought. And so Mm -hmm. along those lines, I want to know more about that one week. So Mm -hmm. you had essentially one week to make one of the most important decisions of your life. And so do you think that your decision was rushed because you only had that, that one week, or were you able to have every conversation and make every consideration you needed to, or did you just with the time you had make the best decision you could, or you know what I mean? Like, was it, yeah. you, you did everything that you would have done in four weeks and one week in terms of everything Ooh. that you had to go through to prepare yourself for the procedure and the decision itself. Yeah. I mean, so everybody's story is different. I didn't really have any prep beforehand. It was just simply letting them know, do you want this slot or not? Basically. So for, which again, this still sounds so bad because it sounds like a hair appointment. Like, girl, do you want this five o'clock or not? And it's like, are we talking about, you know, a pregnant girl or are we talking about, you know, something else? So um, it just, it really, so I didn't tell anyone because I, again, I still was sitting in the shock of just kind of, I, I'm pregnant. And then the other thing is, you know, I, I sometimes ask myself or I used to, was it a good thing that I heard the heartbeat? You know, when they asked me that, you know, if I had said no, would my decision have been different? Because definitely hearing it and seeing the ultrasound, 
it personalized it even more. So I did the opposite of everything you just said. I didn't talk to anybody except my Jesus. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, okay, God, you know, what do I do? What do I, you know, and I just kind of thought about it for those reasons that I mentioned, just kind of weighing things out. I kept to myself. And seriously, even when I made my decision, I won't call it like a false idea, but it definitely was a false sense of hope in the sense of, okay, I'm going to make this decision in a state where I don't really know a lot of people. Granted, I have family, but I even did it in a city that was like an hour and a half outside of them. I kind of thought, I'm going to make this decision in this little town, hyping myself up at the time. I'm going to make this decision (laughs) where I don't know someone and I'm going to go back to Atlanta and live my life. And this will be something that I never tell anybody. This will be something I just resonate with myself and, you know, you'll be okay. And whether it's women that you know or don't know, there's resources. I wish I would have told myself, okay, Tiffany, you're about to make a decision that is going to kind of change a lot for you, but you don't have to go through this by yourself. It doesn't have to be a secret. Now, you don't need to broadcast it to everyone, but at the same time, your story, your choice, say what you want, but at the same time, there are communities for this. This doesn't have to be something that you just go to Planned Parenthood and just drive back to Atlanta in time for brunch, because that's how I treated it in full transparency. I just kind of thought, girl... You sat with this for a week, make this decision, you can go back to normal. They don't tell you that there's, I won't say that clinics don't necessarily kind of let you know about what you can go post of it, but because everyone's journey is different, it's kind of like here are a couple of phone numbers and, you know, um, maybe physical aftercare that you need to go through, depending on how you decided to uh, go about your termination. But pretty much it's kind of like you made your decision, hope you're good. And here are a couple of pamphlets. So just that week, uh, I just kind of thought, you can do this. You can tell anybody and you'll be okay. So that was pretty much the overall thought process. Mm. So you don't think that more time would have made any or had any bearing on your your process? I mean, it probably had, because I'll be honest, at the time there were times post my decision that I thought, did I make the right decision? Because Um, there were other factors that were still kind of going on that were adding to the situation and did make me think, okay, maybe I, if I didn't feel, because it wasn't a rush. I just want to clarify that. I didn't feel Mm. like I was rushed per se. It Mm. more so kind of thought, and I used to do sports. um, So maybe I'm thinking like on a sports analogy, I'm like, okay, you're against the clock. You know what I'm saying? Like make it (laughs) so finish strong. You know, I used to do track. So I'm just thinking like I have my coaches in my head and that probably isn't the best way to look at it. But I didn't feel like it was a rush. I just more so kind of like, you need to make a decision. So if I had more time at the time, I did think that maybe if I had more time and had more conversations with uh, who would have been the father, maybe I probably would have kept it. But Mm -hmm. honestly, it's been three years now or so. I don't regret Mm -hmm. my decision. I still have kind of like after effects of the decision. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But no, I think if I had more time, maybe I would have kept my child, but uh, this probably isn't the best time. I think individually and not speaking on behalf of that person, but I think even where they were and just even the idea of a family kind of unit, I just still didn't see where this would have been something that would have been productive. So maybe I might've kept my child, but truthfully, I don't think I would have, I would have done that because there was a lot of stress and depression that was also brewing at Mm. that time that I just don't think would have been supportive and cohesive to a new life. So no, I don't think more time would have made a difference. That's, that's good to know. Like to, to know that that was part of your experience and to know that the decision that you made was able to be made within the time right. frame that you had, you know? Yeah, because 
I just kind of thought it's still now I'm not gonna lie when somebody tells you that you know you need to make a decision basically by Friday and we might have a Saturday appointment it's just kind of like y'all do this way too often you know what I mean but it just <laughs> it did kind of hit me in a sense of you know I've got to make this decision and I hope I'm doing the right thing Mm-hmm. And you don't really know. And even with it, with the decision that I made, there's still sensitivity around certain things. Like kids were a bit of a trigger. Uh, mm-hmm. Mother's Day, I'll be even honest, the month of May is still hard. You know, holidays hit differently. So there's still things that hit you that either remind you of your decision, make you maybe regret your decision. There's still things that come with it. But even in the midst of all that, I had to outweigh not necessarily what was just best for me, but just looking at all these other factors that I could see and just think, how is this going to impact this child? So even though I think when a lot of people talk about decisions for a termination or abortion, it's always viewed from the woman doesn't want it. For me, it was thinking I'm not necessarily ready, but I'm also looking at the quality of life. I could provide a child and it, I just didn't feel like it was going to be fair. So yeah, I don't know. The, the the week I felt like went by very, very slow. I'm just kind of like, can this appointment already? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to change my mind. So I was yeah. like, ooh, time is going real slow. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. And, and I don't know if this was like your thought process, but I've always imagined like if I were ever to get pregnant, like what what would I do? But if I didn't want to be pregnant, I would probably just be trying to be unpregnant as quickly as possible. Like you said, minimizing the experience as much as possible by having it in some far away place and then going back to your life and just kind of in your mind conceptualizing it as mm-hmm. you know this thing that happened that one time and so I can totally understand wanting to be unpregnant as quickly as you could be if pregnancy was not something that you wanted. So I can definitely see the week going by incredibly slowly and to kind of talk, talk. (laughs) and I'm just kind of like, and and the thing is, I'll be transparent. Even then, even now I still want to have kids. So it was never being against, I think that's a misconception as well, that some people think that people that have abortions, you know, they don't value life, they don't care. And then, and it, the total opposite. It was the fact that I would love to have a child. I would love to be somebody's mom and all, and all those like feminine estrogen things that, you know, get poured out to us, but just truthfully, really, it is something that I want. But even if I'm looking at it from that perspective, can I provide that right now? Is this going to be something that I can continue or am I in a, cause I was in a very reactive space with a lot of things in my life at that time. So adding something that, something that would require a lot of time and responsibility. I'm just thinking, this is not a, a good time. So that's another, I think, myth I kind of want to debunk that people think that if you have an abortion, you don't care about kids or you're just selfish. And for me, it was a total opposite. I did want to have kids, but just thinking where I was, where I was with, with who would have been the father and other things, I'm just thinking, I'm not seeing positivity across the board on this. So this is probably yeah. not going to be the best decision nine months yeah. down the line. Well, you did make the best decision, right? Like you made... The decision that considered not only you, but your unborn child and what life they could have. And I feel like adoption, abortion have to be some of the most unselfish decisions that you could make for yourself or your Mm -hmm. child, because you're truly putting the best interest, you know, of the child. Because if you felt like you were in a position to provide a good life for the child, you probably would have had the child. But to to have a child, 
knowing that you may not be able to provide it the best life ain't an easy choice mm-hmm. either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ain't, exactly. ain't, an, ain't an easy choice either, but it's, it's certainly, um, commendable. Um, every woman that makes the best decision that they can for themselves and their children. And so I want to talk a little bit about, I want to circle back, but I want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the physical effects before we kind of dig deeper into post-abortion emotional trauma that you may have experienced or may not have experienced, but physically, what Mm -hmm. was the process like? Because, you know, like you said, I think sometimes people think that the the way technology has moved forward, that it's like something you slip in between your mani-pedi and, you know, eyebrow, girl, you want this Mm. person, right? Like, it's just something like physically, was it demanding on your body physically to go through the process? What was that process like for the physical part of the abortion? Sure. I mean, so again, everyone's different and it really does depend where you are in your pregnancy. So, and I forget the technical term of like what I ended up having, but there's the at-home method, which some people have done where you take the pills and it's essentially like forcing your body to have a miscarriage in a sense. Mm. So there's that option. What I did, and I forget what I actually, well, the name of it, but I actually went in for a procedure. Um, They basically, so there was no physical prep, I guess, to answer that first question. And more so it's just kind of like, you know, here's what she'll be going through. And what I opted for was an option where basically it was it's the, it's a, it's a suction removal. So for me, it really was just then laying you down, prepping you for it, explaining what's going to happen. You are next to a machine, I guess, where you're kind of hearing like a suction and, and the whizzing and things like that. And again, I don't know how everyone else's experience was. I've heard with some women, you actually can get anesthesia where they pretty much knock you out and, you know, you go to sleep. I didn't have that. And so being aware of what was going on, again, at the time, I'm thinking, I'm doing this decision. It's okay. My biggest thing I kept telling myself is don't look at the machine because it is a clear tube. And obviously, when you see what's going through the tube, you know what it is. So I just kind of told myself, just look up at the ceiling, look at other things, think about one of the shows you have coming up, think about things that kind of check you out of this moment because you know what's happening and you don't want to look at it. And for me, I'm a very visual person. So this is why even doing it in another state, I don't want to do it in Atlanta because I'm thinking Atlanta is home. I have positive memories here. So we're going to do this somewhere else that I never plan on visiting anyway. So that procedure uh, was done. You know, they let me know, hey, that we're finished. And basically they say that like afterwards you might have a little bit of bleeding. So they do give you pads and things like that or panty liners, give you a couple of pamphlets. For me, they did have a waiting room just to kind of sit and basically answer any questions that I had. And for me, I was still in that space of maybe what was shock at the moment, but really for me at that time was more so, okay, you did it, you know, and that probably would have come off extremely insensitive to anybody that was there. But at the time, I just really kind of thought, okay, just check yourself out and kind of, like you said, get unpregnant as quick as possible. We're just going to go back to life as if anything happened. So I did have a little bit of bleeding afterwards, but even then stuff kind of hits me late in general. So at that time, at the end of the week, at the end of that appointment, I thought I did this, hop on the road, go back to Atlanta. You'll be good. Check your panty liner, make sure you're okay. And <laughs> like, you'll be fine by Monday. So that's the only physical prep I had where I just thought you made this decision. You're okay. Panty liners. All right. You're good. Girl, you so are that pretty G. much is it. You are a G because I'm like sitting here like, oh, my God, 
it's you know and I was thinking how much detail I wish do I, I was give? there to hold your hand or something like so That's I remember only regret I have it's the only it's, regret I have that I that I did it by myself when I did confide into some people that were close to me I remember their reactions being like Tiffany why didn't you tell me you don't yeah. need to go through that by yourself. And that's when at that time it did start to hit me. But at the time, I just kind of thought maybe again, just that adrenaline that comes from using that sports analogy of kind of like, I've got the energy, I'm doing the right thing, go for it, not go for it, but just get this done and you'll be okay. That's my only regret I think I have mm-hmm. of it is not my decision, but that I did it by myself. And that's the only thing I would tell somebody else, because mm-hmm. even if you turn out to be okay, then you're okay with your friends. If you're not okay, then you've got that security. You've got that support system to catch you when you're not. I walked into this completely by myself, by choice, but it still was under, I think, kind of a, a mystic hope of just like, it'll be okay. I was treating him like it was a hair appointment. <laughs> Girl, like I said, I you, you handled that with more grace than I think most could honestly say they could muster under the circumstances. Um, I haven't really shared this a lot or really like a whole lot at all, but um, last year I got some really awful news that I had some early stage cancer cells in my cervix Mm. and I had to have a part of my cervix removed in order to get rid of those cells. And I found out the day of my surgery that my insurance wasn't going to pay for me to have general anesthesia and I was only going to get local. So I was awake for the whole thing (laughs) and I was a mess. And hearing you tell your story brought me back to laying on that table and like you can hear the machines whirring because they use lasers and things to make the incisions and so I could hear the things and you know my doctor is down there you know making comments like oh my god (laughs) like what are you I'm awake I can hear you (laughs) but it's like oh my gosh like bedside manner folks you're like, I wish my resident were here. Like, this is a perfect sample of, yes, girl, this is what she's saying, of what, you know, abnormal cell, whatever should look like. And I'm like, girl, and my doctor's a black woman, but having to sit on, sit there, right? Mm-hmm. Be fully awake, hear the commentary, hear the machines whirring around and then feel it, right? Like anesthesia doesn't numb everything, It takes away, I think, the worst of the pain, but like I could feel every time the laser cut me and it was traumatic. It was traumatic. Physical pain aside, emotionally, that was very difficult. And I went to therapy afterwards. I wasn't sure how I was going to be. Luckily, my sister came to town and she was there with me. And, uh, my, my boyfriend at the time was there. So I I was so grateful. I had that support system, but I still didn't know emotionally how I was going to be after that. (laughs) And so for, for you, after having that experience, I know you felt like you were going to be okay emotionally, but were you girl? No, no. And you hit it on the head. That's the type of stuff. 
that needs to be in the pamphlets. I don't need to know about <laughs> if I'm bleeding a little bit. I mean, that's great because I know who to call. But let me know if you're feeling like this, like that. Like, you know, they don't even talk about the things because there are some women that go through this and whether it's they don't have a connection to the person maybe that got the pregnant or the situation or even just idea of being, whatever the reason is, everyone handles it different. But no, for that very reason, that's a part which, you know, I would have been a little bit more honest with myself, like, hey, okay, these triggers can be anything. So the first thing that she mentioned, again, I'm so sorry to hear about that. And you talk about me being a G girl. I didn't even know. And like she said, y'all, close friend, but she, she's a boss lady in her business. So. Girl, it's just but, like everybody handles things differently. And my way of handling true. is to just power through. Like I'm, I'm getting up, I'm going to work, like I'm going to just power yeah. through it. And that's how I kind of got through it but I also had to go to therapy I was like I I need to talk to somebody about this you know what I mean and so everybody got to get through it the best way they know how and that's that's just how I handle things good bad or ugly it may not be right and that's very true (laughs) but here's the thing you do what you need to do right and and again and I think sometimes even that is tied into just black culture how we deal Mm -hmm. with things you know I think if you aren't kind of really taught maybe some of the skills in terms of other than power through, whether that be a feminine thing or a black feminine thing, either way, it's something that just comes second nature to us. So similarly to yourself, I'm thinking power through because I've got things to do. I've got a show. I've got this, this and the third. But it was little things that started to hit me that I realized, OK, wait a minute, you're not OK. So there were obvious things that I kind of prepared myself for. If I see a cute little you know, baby face or if I see, you know. Change the channel, Toys R Us comes on, all the obvious things, right? But it was little things like hearing a vacuum cleaner. I could not understand what was happening because I would freak out to a point where I would start crying. And I eventually had to realize, okay, wait a minute, you're having a panic attack from Hoover. You know, and I didn't realize what that was. So if I had to, and I think that's why I, dare I say, enjoy being so transparent about my experience because I'm thinking how much easier would my healing have been if I had been aware that, you might go through some things. First up, that you can have PTSD from this decision. Mm-hmm. Despite you having the best intentions, having thought everything out, and well, I don't necessarily consider myself a planner. I will literally list out things and prep myself for A, B, and C, but life always hits you with X, Y, and Z. That's the part that had me thinking, okay, Tiffany, if you had just kind of opened yourself up to, using the analogy of an alphabet, all of these letters possibly hitting you at one time or one at a random time instead of thinking, okay, I'm just gonna focus right here, that's not what happened. So there were little triggers that started to hit me and I had no clue where that was coming from. And it definitely was and still is a journey, but it's a lot easier now than it was three years ago. Yeah. That vacuum. Yeah. That's, that's heavy. Mm. That was one that just kind of I didn't really know what it was. And then, you know, I, and I, I don't know about you. I know for me, though, I have a hard time identifying my own, what I feel like are weaknesses. And then even just the concept of something making me weak, you know, even if it's myself, it's like, hold up, wait a minute, self, have a conversation because we are strong, we are this, we go through all the things that define you. (laughs) And even when that's not enough to kind of help you combat maybe these things that you're unaware of, it's kind of like, okay, what is going on? So for me, it was, um, it was, it was a heavy, heavy time. Like the rest of 2018 just for myself was just hard because it was vacuum cleaners or um, having a hard time sleeping because I was having dreams of my child. And the thing that I experienced that, mm. I don't know if this is a technical term, but it almost was like a phantom pregnancy. Mm. So, mm-hmm. and I don't know 
again, if that's the correct term, but it was this feeling of while I wasn't pregnant, I still felt like I was preparing for what would have been my delivery month, which would have been October or so. So there were things that were still kind of like, okay, I know I'm not pregnant, but I still am in countdown mode to when this baby would be here. So it just, it was a weird space because it just felt like my mind was very reactive to things. And I had no understanding of where it was coming from and I felt pretty self-aware I was like I know me I know what I like I know what I don't like but I don't know why but this is different this is is different Tiffany exactly this is post-trauma Tiffany exactly that's a different Tiffany exactly you have to one thing I did hear you say is that you're like being so hard on yourself like you have to in those moments give yourself grace as well because you don't know what you don't know you've never been in this experience before how could you know that this would be a potential result right. or, you know, emotional consequence of having this son? Like you said, the pamphlet didn't say so. How could you possibly have known? And so you, you have to give right. yourself grace. And while I haven't experienced an abortion, I've experienced trauma. And I think that the most important thing to recognize when you've been through something traumatic is you don't know what your triggers are going to be. You don't that know part. how it's going to start manifesting itself in ways like you didn't even you didn't even know, like you didn't exactly. even recognize. Like I've had to have people point out to me, like, why do you flinch when people touch you? And I was like, because I had, you know, experienced a sexual assault and I didn't realize I did that. Like I right. didn't even realize it. Right. Like because the same way you went back home to Atlanta and like try to forget it when you suppress those things they start to manifest themselves in ways that you couldn't even possibly imagine and then things that used to be mundane are triggers for you and I've had like my ex he would be like why did you know me saying ex make you so upset and I'm like now that I've had an opportunity to go through therapy and heal I'm like that is a trigger for me and so for people who are trying to help people who've been through a trauma if somebody who says or somebody who's been through something tells you something's a trigger for them even if you don't understand what that means like don't do it again (laughs) right Mm -hmm. like it is seriously traumatic that person is reliving the trauma every time you do that and so he just didn't understand and he was like why is it such a big deal like I'm telling you this is a trigger for me this is gonna be a big deal for me every time and he just couldn't conceptualize why something so small was emotionally large reaction yeah taxing for Mm -hmm. me and so to hear you recount your experience with the vacuum and you know it's just like as a person who has also experienced trauma I can relate right to that on so many levels because you just never know what your life is going to look like on the other side of the trauma or who you're going to be on the other side even once you've healed even once you healed it's like uh when you drop a coffee cup and you know you try to put it back together and it it looks like a coffee cup but it's it's got all these cracks and fractures right now it's a mosaic Mm -hmm. right it'll never Mm -hmm. be the exact same version of that coffee cup again good or bad like sometimes that's good right like sometimes you grow from that and it and it molds you into the person you're supposed to be and some parts of it you know are not so good and maybe you'll never be 
as confident or, you know, as self-assured in some areas as you once were. And so it's just the other side of trauma is, whew, it's a mysterious place, honey. And so I want to, before we end the conversation, <laughs> like what has the other side of this experience looked like for you? What mm-hmm. is life like now, three years post experience? Um, and how has it changed you in your life? Yeah, I mean, first off, like you said, just the trauma portion of it, now understanding, I think for anyone to go through trauma, you first have to understand that you're experiencing trauma. That was something that was so different for me because I kind of thought you're being weak. Mm-hmm. And when I started to look at myself differently, and it took a while, it took a while for me to get there, but through the help of being more transparent, being more open, uh, being honest with my community, then also kind of expanding my community to include a therapist to talk about, you know, just starting with that, but then other things as well to kind of see, okay, well, first off, what exactly is a trigger? Then understanding what the trigger is in your reaction, then getting to the base of where is that coming from? To your point, the the journey, I think of kind of like, whether it's self-acceptance or self-love kind of starts to root down into, okay, understanding yourself and maybe where you come from, but not being defined with it. So mm-hmm. I think for me now, there's still sensitivity around like certain things like the month of May and Mother's Day is hard, but I still look at that as progress because beforehand it used to be June would be hard because I'm thinking about Father's Day. Then I, and part of that is May. Then I'm thinking like a month that my child would have been here. Then see, I mean, it just was like, God, I don't want to go outside because like, you know, a breeze is going to have me thinking about, you know, the air when I walk into the clinic. I mean, it's just, it was just so reactive. But to yes. your point, when you're going through trauma, you are reactive because your brain is just in constant fight or flight. And whichever one is doing that day, you may just hold on tight. So mm-hmm. today, there's no fight or flight. It's more yes. so kind of realizing that, you know, there's, I think that there are experiences that you can go through that can define you. And truthfully, to your point, you may never get over it. You may never get over it, but you can grow through it. Yes. There's some things that you can't necessarily just go through and power through and just be like, okay, I'm strong. I'm this. Let me come out on the other side. You, like you said, you don't know what the other side is. So for me today, it's it's a lot of self-love and acceptance because I had to realize whether this is something that I know for myself, I'll never necessarily forget, but it has me appreciate things a little bit differently. Even spending time with family members and things like that, telling myself to be more open and honest with myself and others. So now there's still moments that, kind of have me just like, ooh, okay, girl, you would have what a three-year-old now. But then at the same time, it's still kind of being, it's still also just being appreciative. You would have a three-year-old now. A toddler. And beforehand, (laughs) beforehand. That would have been another baby party I would have had to go to. And you know, I don't like baby parties. No, like, I've been like, look, call Auntie Sydney because, you know, she she got the look. We see what she's doing, all these great things in my house. Okay, I just want to let you know that my chairs and things, I'll pay you back, girl. I'll pay you back. So, honestly, at this point, it's a lot of self-love and patience. And honestly, this might sound so crazy, but being blessed with the fact that I was even able to carry life. You know what I mean? My decision being whatever it was, uh, I still feel blessed that at some point God was, for me, it's God, but to say that, hey, you were able to carry life. So a lot of it now is just kind of self-acceptance, also realizing life happens, doing the best that you can with it. And even if you make the right decision, sometimes life is still going to have a little bit of pushback. But then what do you do? You keep going, you keep growing, you 
try to mold yourself to be the best version of yourself. So that's kind of where I am right now. And just kind of more so still want kids, you know, still want marriage and all these things. I'm just not defined by this decision that I made, even if every now and then, you know, it comes up. But now I embrace it and just kind of go, hey, that memory's back. We learned some coping skills, you know. Girl, can I just tell you as an observer on your journey, I remember oh girl, you telling me (laughs) about this experience years ago and hearing you talk about it now. I am like so proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and how far you've come. I, I can. Mm-hmm. visibly see you were your, there yeah your journey to healing you girl I just the the conversation that we're having now is so much different than the conversations we had years ago so I'm yeah I'm just so proud girl you, you doing it like you you're growing through it like you said that's the best way to look at it because this still doesn't mean that I or anyone else has to agree with it it's just one of those things that I had to realize just all the stuff that came with it, you know, anything I would tell anyone making that decision, don't go by yourself. I think what's going on with Texas is just crazy. But I think it's really kind of it's something that whatever you decide, whether to keep a child or to not keep a child, like it's your decision, but don't go through it by yourself. So whether it's having a community, whether it's having a therapist, if you're religious, talking to, you know, uh, who you define as your God, but whatever it is, just be kind and honest with yourself and take every day one day at a time. Because I think with any other thing that you mentioned that is kind of tied to trauma, you still kind of have to go through a little bit of maybe of a valley and stuff. But I appreciate it, girl, because, yeah, I didn't even realize when I look back at pictures and things, I'm just kind of like just so much of that was sitting on me. And now it's just kind of like it's still it sits with me versus sitting on me. And it's when I say those things, because it is that difference of like when something is sitting on you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's on you. But when it sits with me, okay, you can coexist with me, but you're not driving Mm -hmm. this. You're not defining this. And I'm still the person that I was before this situation. And even afterwards, I just look at it as like, God willing, whenever I do get married and have kids, you know what I mean? It's still, my little butterball is still in my heart. I just don't necessarily don't wear it on my sleeve anymore. So that's the way I look at it. Yes, I love that. Okay, so one last question to end the conversation. So what did having the right to make this choice without the interference of the government, the state, politicians, or even your baby daddy, right? Like, (laughs) like (laughs) what, what did that mean to you to be able to maintain that choice and... Yeah. The impact that it's had on your life in a positive way. Uh, A sense of self, you know, and I understand that so many people can kind of have their hands in this pot, whether it's the person that you share this pregnancy with, whether it's the government, it can even be your own family, it can be religion, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, and again, not to dilute it and compare it to a decision like what college you want to go to. But there are certain things that no matter how many people influence you or no one influences you, it's still your choice. Because at the end of the day, one of the things that I'll say that my therapist helped me with is I had a lot of feelings of kind of I'm going through this alone and I wonder what he's feeling kind of thing. And even though there were conversations about that, one of the things that she said that helped me realize this is a self journey And a decision, not that you made as a punishment, but more so embrace the fact that you were able to make this decision is, you know, you're going through this because you kind of 
you went through a physical process. Anyone else that's involved, even if it is a person that got you pregnant, or in this case, a government, whatever, they lost the idea of something. So maybe he lost the idea of a child or the government lost the idea of this, this kind of thing. The person who makes that decision is the person that's in that room with the exception of the people performing the operation. So for me, in a positive sense, it's a sense of self. It's a sense of self because I think if there's any type of right that a person has removed and there's nothing that's tied to, there's a ramification. Like if you do this, it's a bad thing. To the point that you made earlier, if most women don't even know that they're pregnant at six to eight weeks, why are we why are we still in the right before they even know? In my case, they had 11 weeks. I couldn't imagine somebody saying, you know, hey, you've got to do this because your time has passed. It's like, well, I just figured this out. So for me, even in that moment, it was educational. It was a sense of self, me being able to make my own decision in my own right, because post it, I'm the only one that has to deal with this. So I think it comes back to not just the civil rights thing, but just even on a more personal level, it's something that you have to decide. And whatever the aftermath is, whether it continues to affect you or not, you have to deal with it. So if I have to deal with the aftermath, then I should be able to make this decision. That's how I look at it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Wow. That is the only word that I have to describe this episode that was nothing short of amazing. Tiffany, I am so in awe of your transparency and vulnerability. And I am just so grateful that you joined us today. So as a woman who has never had an abortion, I can honestly say that I have learned so much about this process today. And I can also say that if I ever came to a point in my life where I needed an abortion, I sincerely hope that I will have the ability to make my choice on my own freely discreetly and humanely without the intervention or judgment of government politicians the state or even my baby daddy okay a woman's body and her choice shouldn't be up for debate we must protect women and their liberties by speaking up and speaking out now so that we can preserve our rights to make our choices freely, humanely, and without judgment or criticism so that we can protect those rights for our future children, for our friends, for our sisters, for our nieces. Because while it may not affect you right now, it may affect them tomorrow. So protect yourself, protect your neighbors, and protect women. With that, I just have to thank our guest one more time for leading the charge on such an important discussion. And thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to join us next week for another great episode full of plenty of truth, education, uplifting, some kikiing, and of course, plenty of tea that's 100% sugar free. Woo chow. Mm Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. 
see you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Meet small business owner Mackenzie Nicole. Mackenzie's business is growing and she needs forms and templates to legally protect her business from clients, partners, and employees. But she's low on cash and needs to find forms and templates that are legally binding and comprehensive, yet affordable. Not knowing where to find such forms and templates, Mackenzie was stressed until she found Formally Forms, the one-stop DIY legal shop for small business owners, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs. All Formally Forms are affordable, easy to use, and expertly drafted by a licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So what are you waiting for? Be like Mackenzie and get your Formally Form or template today.